And we are back on the big wake-up call, and time for my next guest returning to the show. Glad to have him back. He is the legendary drummer for the Stray Cats and host of a podcast, Rockabilly Confidential, which is now in Season 2. We are going to catch up with Slim Jim Phantom, and good morning. Welcome back. Thanks, buddy. Good to be back, really. It's been about uh, six years, which I can't believe, since we were talking about uh, your book, A Stray Cat Struts, My Life as a Rockabilly Rebel. So what's been going on for the past six years? Well, for the past six years, let's um, see. A few of the main points was that the Stray Cats made an album and did a couple of world tours. The, that was a good result of that. I started, um, I do snippet which is a fantastic uh platform that's where we do rockabilly confidential on that platform uh we've been doing little steven's underground garage for about five years now yeah and i got married so there's a few few things since after the book well congratulations I i gotta get a new life now i wrote about the old one you gotta get a new life now so I have some questions. You've been a, a stand-up drummer as part of you do that for the Stray Cats. I was doing it for a while with my band. I just want to know how you keep up your stamina because I feel like I'm balancing my entire body on my left leg and I'm using the you know the old Speed King to hit the bass right. drum. How do you how do you manage that? I think it's exactly what you just said. Really, you nailed it perfectly. All of your weight tends to be. On one side, I'm left-handed, so it's the same as yours, except it's just 180, you know, because um, I'm left-handed. You really have to develop a good kind of spring in your hip and your leg, really, kind of keep it keep it fluid. Hiking helps, you know, any, any type of exercise you can do, but for sure. Um, and the other thing with your, um, your uh, foot that actually hits the kick – a lot of times, it's better to um, uh, to not be so stiff, if that makes makes any sense. You know, yeah. try to have a lighter touch, which is um, which kind of goes against what you think it would be because you're standing and hitting things with much more force. But if you can have a lighter touch, that that helps. Does it help to have a simpler kit because you're moving around a little less to do fills? Yeah, I don't think you could use a hi-hat, then you would fall over. Right. <laughs> you do need one of the feet. Um, I I do use toms. Um, there are ways to do it, I guess, but for sure, there was a couple um, things that I found that if you were playing on the toms and singing, it would be hard because you'd be reaching across your whole body. A couple of things like that, since you've done it, you totally know these are the exact situations that come up. Well, yeah, and trying to lead sing and play stand-up drumming, I, I eventually had to give up and just play guitar in the band, but I kind of miss right. it, kind of miss drumming like that. And they definitely wanted to be standing up, huh? Yeah, I don't know. I just really liked the look of that, and I think if you're going to be a, a lead singer out front, just sitting down just kind of looks weird. Right. Right. I see so wanted to sit and lead sing and be in the front. That's even going one bridge further. So, Fantastic. so I wanted to ask you because I've just been on a big rock pile kick and listening to yep. to Dave Edmonds and Nick Lowe. I know you recorded with uh, Dave in London. What was he like working with as a producer? Yeah, Dave really was one of those ones. Uh, we made the first album in London. The second one, 
We did half in New York, half London. We did one of them in L.A., two in L.A. maybe. And I know we did one in Chattanooga, Tennessee. We decided to go to Chattanooga, Tennessee. I can't quite remember all the the reasonings that would have been gone into that. Yeah. But Edmonds was one of those guys. He really, he really wanted to do it, which was the, um, the key to the whole thing. Uh, when he had, uh, found us, I guess a lot of people, we were like in vogue in London for a few weeks and everyone was coming to see us. You had to see this show. And, um, uh, there was a lot of interest from, from the labels and, a lot of interest from everyone, really, and but it was kind of getting the right combination of the label that understood it, wound up being a guy named Tarquin Gotch and uh, his A&R partner Simon Potts, Arista Records. It wound up being them, and a lot of it had to do with Edmonds and his availability, because what was happening is we were the toast of the town. And everyone wanted to sign us, and we could have taken a little bit more time and maybe met every single record company, every single producer, rather than the the mere thirty that we did. Right? But, yeah. Um, it, there, there was an there was an actual thing of it was uh, going to be Christmas, and the record business closed down Christmas. Right after Thanksgiving, I I, I guess it kind of closes. They freeze the charts in England the last two three weeks of the year. Right. And the nuts and bolts of the fact that we might be the talk of the town. Everyone's coming to see us and there's a bidding war, but we had nowhere to live. We were still in the same boat as when we had arrived there in June, which was, we didn't have anywhere to live. We were kind of bounced around to, we had advanced to like maybe people who like this were letting us stay in their actual rooms rather than on the floor in the garage. <laughs> so we, uh, we, um, we were pressed for time, lack of a better way to put it. We had no money. So um, Edmonds was ready to do it. Arista was ready to make the deal. The studio he wanted to uh, use, which I think they did a lot of those rock pile um, stuff. They were part of that gang of uh, uh, Elvis Costello, Dave Edmonds, Graham Parker. There was a little group that was on the same label, I think, and they used the same studio or same management. or And so... Uh, Eden Studios, it was called. That was available. Edmonds was available. We were available to do anything that was possibly thought of for us. To, and it just all lined up. And Edmonds had had a vision for a very long time. He was he was actively always looking for a young band that could do rockabilly music in, in the way that he heard it in his head. Like Kern, uh, like uh, Sam Phillips uh, wanted Elvis. It, it was it was a similar thing, and what he brought was a real kind of a modern slant on a beautiful old style of music. Because I think if we come right up out of the box and had a dusty old song, I don't know if things would have been the same. But in the interim time that we arrived in England and when we met Dave, we had written Runaway Boys, which was seen as kind of like a modern-ish kind of subject material and modern-ish kind of sound. And I think that's what Dave really took to, you know. And so it was able to, now you see this, but it really pushed the whole genre in, in, into the next phase. 
And I don't want to be too inside for our listeners, but I could talk about, you know, recording forever. But um, are you glad that you were able to record your classic albums before the, the gated snare drum sound took over completely? Yeah, that was a kind of a uh, thing. I love that kind of stuff, just being, a, um, uh, you know, pretty young at that time. Dave had a... a um, had an approach to the snare drum, especially that time. And, uh, we, we, we used a thing called lexicon and how deep that is for anybody, but it, it sat next to the mixing console and it was for the drums and in the middle of this big giant room. We had my pink sparkle vintage Gretsch snare drum, which I somehow lugged around and had the whole time. Um, uh, mic'd from the top and the bottom run through the desk through this thing and we called it r2d2 because that's what it looked like okay it had like levers on it It was all that from the snare drum and that's what that sound of runaway boys that's what the sound is it's a lexicon and i think they were kind of a popular item but it it was uh it was an old drum recorded in an old way by miking the top and the bottom but with the some modern technology and that's kind of the stray cats in a nutshell so what uh, what are some of the stories, some of the artists that you are, are sharing on the podcast this season? Uh, in the podcast, we've done a bunch, uh, a bunch of different ones. We talked about um, uh, doing the Us Festival and all the great artists that were on that, the Clash headline that beautiful day, and they were friends of ours, and that wound up being the last gig that they did for really, I think, ever, maybe. Uh, um, and we were there for... For that, we talked about um, uh, when when baseball season finally worked it out. We did uh, a podcast about uh, our crazy fantasy basketball leagues with Vincent Gallo and Eddie Vedder and Johnny Ramone and Johnny Ramone and myself going to you know, many, many, many Dodgers games. Just you know, wacky adventures. Uh, I didn't know you went to Dodgers game with Johnny Moan. Yeah, I did. <laughs> that kind of stuff, you know. Just everything of my life was always hiding in plain sight. Just funny stuff, really. You know, um, we had one about that. We had one about um, just recently. I did one about my friendship with um, Harry Dean Stanton, who was a great old actor guy, who was one of my best friends. And yeah, crazy stuff that we used to do, which a lot of times it turns out to be a little bit more boring than crazy unless you think of the people who are doing it and then it becomes uh, fictional uh you know beautiful storytelling you know so um we did that and um about we did a couple of uh mountain climbs for charity we 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 went to mount everest once and we went to mount kilimanjaro once and that was with a few people you might know uh glenn tilburg from the fix uh from 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 squeeze yeah uh, uh, Cy and Jamie from The Fix, um, who, who I'm about to play a tour with. So we're going to plug the tour, Slim Jim and The Fix. Nice. They start a tour, a gig near you in June. Old old pals. And uh, we did a couple of mountain climbs for charity. Not back to back. We did one year, one next year, the next. And uh, really just the adventures of my ever wacky life, really. Uh, you know, some stories about touring with the stones some stories with just really us you know just being in the stray cats is a story enough let me tell you it's just the the wacky things that have happened to us over the years and there really has been uh 
a lot of stuff. I I, I was very very close with uh, with um, Lammy, who's a heavy metal legend at this sure. point, and and Lammy and I were very close. We were neighbors for a long time, and the um, I got along with him very well, and we really hung out a lot. I had some adventures with Keith and some. I played in Jerry Lee Lewis's band for a while, so that was good for a couple of stories and really just just the life. And most of it, most of it, while I I had a little boy attached to me, my my son who uh, who who came with me everywhere. I know you had uh, a relationship with George Harrison. Was this during like the the Cloud Nine Wilbury period? Yes. Uh, the when I met Georgie, it was uh, it was I guess it was around that. It it was before the Wilburys, so it must have been. Uh, he he had uh, well, we had all done a TV special for Carl Perkins. And okay, Carl, yeah, Perkins, yeah. Carl Perkins, I had known, um, I was already, you know, time at George, I was already 25, <laughs> but I had known Carl since I was 19, I think. Um, um, a lot of, a beautiful part of the Stray Cats was that a lot of these people that we talk about, they came to us because that's the only way that it can really happen. You can't really go out and say, well, I'm going to go do a pub tour of England, and the Rolling Stones are going to be there, and Led Zeppelin, and whoever, all the punk rock uh, royalty, Strummer will be there, Chrissy Hine will be there, and uh, Peter Frampton will be standing next to uh, the guy from the specials, and you can't plan any of that kind of stuff, really. It's got to be just because they're all curious about the same thing. And... Uh, so a lot of the great rock, and that, that was in England. And then a year later, two years later, and it was probably three, two, two, three years later, we went to America to do the whole thing over again because we did it in England and Europe and take a little time to make a second album. And then before you know it, you've got to go to the States and pretty much start from scratch again because you might've got played a little bit on an import radio or something, but, Nine times out of ten, you got to go to the states and just do the whole thing over again. Even though at that point we could play, you know, a nice sized theater, a small arena, in Paris, in Des Moines, and no one had heard of you yet. So you had to just go do the whole thing all over again. Luckily, MTV had been invented by that time, and so that helped you get exposure. And so when we did the states. The same thing would happen with the with the rock and rollers of of the day in the states, and that included a lot of the the original rock and rollers who almost I would say made made a pilgrimage when we came to their towns. And Carl Carl was one of them. we we met uh, Johnny Cash, we met Wanda Jackson, we met um, uh, anyone who was left from the Crickets and the and the and the Blue Caps all. All came to see us because it was kind of a, I don't know, it was new people doing that music that they were the originators of. So um, we did not meet, meet Chuck Berry, um, but I do know that Carl Perkins came around. There's a, you know, a few shows in the Tennessee area 
the song the first tour and we heard Carl Perkins wants to see you guys. He's at the gig tonight. Wow. <laughs> of course, let him come back into this, you know, little dressing room that he probably played in the fifties and he can do whatever he wants. You know? So we wound up becoming with Carl, uh, and with Carl Perkins and he played the gigs with us. Um, he came on stage every night and I think he wound up staying with us for a few days a week, like just came on the bus with us, you know? And, um, we got to know him very well, and he was a lovely, like, gentle, but beautiful, yet, but man's man kind of guy at the same time, you know? And every time I would look at him, I'm like, that's the guy that wrote Goose Wade Shoes. It's kind of hard to, you know, you know, they're like mythological, a few of these guys. And um, so that led to a really strong friendship with Carl, and then a few years after that, um, we were invited, Lee Rocker and I, uh, to be the rhythm uh, rhythm section for a television show that uh, that was put into being put together in England. And Dave Edmonds was the musical director for. Now, uh, along with the Stray Cat success, a few things, rightfully so, happened with Edmonds as a producer because the old timers are saying, well, our music sounds great, but we want to have a modern twist like those boys, the Stray Cats. So I think Dave did some really good jobs as a result of that. He did, uh, I remember he did a record for Dion. I remember he did a record for the Everly's. So it's an amazing record. And I think he did one for Carl. So Carl was on the radar to, um, to uh, no, he was back on the radar. And uh, they organized a television show that was a uh, Carl Perkins and Friends, that Edmonds was the MD, and he had some of the guys from his band in it, and Lee Rocker and myself were the rhythm section. And then I guess George invited a few of his friends, who turned out to be Roseanne Cash, Eric Clapton, uh, Richard Starkey, our pal Ringo star, and Georgie, George Harrison. And that was the band for the television show. And after being at first kind of intimidated by the whole thing, I, because we rehearsed for about a week and we were in very close quarters. But with those guys, they were very to themselves. And when it was time to go, they went. Uh, after the first couple days, everyone loosened up a bit. I guess felt comfortable with each other. And you just you know, start to get close to somebody. And George, I, I, I just hit it off with him and we really had a strong connection. And um, we did the show, which was in England. And we might've gone out a couple of times after that, like hit the clubs for a couple of days kind of thing. And, and then we, we just stayed close. He invited me to Friar Park and we went and stayed there, and, which is quite amazing. And just over the years, mainly in L.A., it would have been now when because I lived in L.A., I think he had a he would come here a lot and just the phone would ring every now and again, once a year or not for a couple of years or twice in a month and then not for two years. Just and and the phone call would go the same every time. Hello, is this Slim Jim from the Stray Cats? Say, yes. <laughs> Thinking someone got your phone number or something or telemarketer. But, you know. And I would say, yes. And he would say, well, this is George Harrison from the Stray Cats. What are you doing, kid? <laughs> and I would just I would say, well, nothing now. 
you want to have lunch? Yeah. Uh, we'll meet me so-and-so here. And I just go and meet him and would have lunch. Unbelievable. Always lunch, maybe dinner one time. I, I, but like, I was always at a hotel or at some, um, and sometimes he'd be by himself. Another time he'd have a couple people with him. And the one time after that was over, I became great pals with some guy. I can't remember who it was because you're all in a bit of a blur. And then I found out it was some race car driver. <laughs> so he was just, he was just like that. He, and then a few times after that, I ran into him at Capitol Studios. He was there for some meeting. And I think that I, I was there doing a session, and he just stopped the session you know, over the talk back. Is Slim Jim here? Someone's looking for Slim Jim. And <laughs> yeah, I'm here. And George walks in the studio, and all the other musicians are like, you know him? I say, yeah, he's my pal, man. <laughs> he, was one of, he was very good at blowing people's minds, and I think he knew he was good at it. And I think he knew that, um, uh, you know, that he could blow my mind and then blow all these other people's minds. Then really just by he was in the same building and he stopped by to say hello. I'm surprised you didn't uh, try to push Jim Keltner out of the way to be like the, the session drummer. <laughs> I think the way with those guys to guarantee failure is to suggest anything. <laughs> really, the thing I've learned about being around guys like that is that you sit and you're quiet. 20 minutes and then you wait until you have something to say that's pure gold and then you say it and then you're quiet for the next <laughs> 20 minutes <laughs> that's the only way you know the only way you're going to get across with those kind of guys people well, give it advice they don't need well i mean i could talk drumming with you forever but i know we got to let you go it is a uh, rockabilly confidential that is the podcast and really check out Jim's uh, biography because so many great stories in that too. A stray cat struts slim Jim Phantom has been my guest. I really appreciate you joining me today and uh, rock on. Oh, thanks buddy. Rock the confidential is something you really dig and snippet FM as a platform. You'll love it. It's, it's all like everything's in 20 minute bursts. So at the time you have driven down to the mall and have, hit the steering wheel five times because you can't find a parking spot you have heard a great podcast so it's a good new platform all right thanks man appreciate it thanks thanks buddy we got it